industrious city where citizens and visitors freely trade, bargain, gather, and even scheme to make themselves rich, powerful, or wise. A city that answers to no king or noble lord. A city devoted to the gear goddess and its people who keep a steady rhythm of mercantile life. A region that is the crossroads of the world where trade flows up and down the river Argent, out the dwarven gates to the Iron Crags, north through the Margrave, south to Harakesh and Sewal, and the distant cities of Spice and Silk. A city built on the backs of kobolds who were enslaved in silver mines, a place still scarred by a harsh family's diabolical practices and an autocratic rule. Welcome to Zobek, a place that now enjoys freedom, but is corrupt by packs of blood, by temptations of the flesh, and by the raw power of untrampled greed that blackens hearts. Hey everyone, welcome to That Midgard Show, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Midgard campaign setting published by our friends at Cobalt Press. I'm Clayton Thompson, and I manage the Midgard Adventures Discord server, an independent fan-based cooperative group that is affiliated with Cobalt Press. We talk about Midgard lore, share tips and tricks, answer questions, and run regular organized play games, both online and IRL. Our community is open to everyone, particularly those due to Midgard and to role-playing games altogether. So check us out. We have an invitation available in the show notes uh, below. And I'm uh, Joe Ticello. Uh, I've been playing D&D for about 28 years now, both as a player and as a DM. Uh, I started my YouTube channel, uh, which I recently renamed from DM Toolbox to GM Toolbox, uh, about a year and a half ago to help uh, game masters and dungeon masters and even players get the most out of their games uh, in a setting agnostic manner. Uh, traditionally, I've done more D&D, but uh, I want to start covering other systems as well. Uh, I talk about the different tools, tricks, and materials I use to enhance my game and hopefully to help you enhance yours. Uh, I also uh, review third-party books, uh, Patreons, Kickstarters, digital tools, anything that can help you uh, with your D&D or any TTRPG games. Uh, so subscribe to be notified of my videos as they come out. The link should be in the description below. Uh, and also, uh, before we start our program today, Clay and I kind of want to just talk a little bit about the whole OGL drama that's been going on since early January. Uh, the timing of the recordings of our first and second episode was kind of right before the OGL drama broke and literally like just as it was breaking on this first day or two. This episode was two days after Wizards announced they were leaving OGL 1.0a and the VTTs alone. So, yay. Uh, even though that Midgard show is not a new show, uh, we wanted to say something in support of the community and the game we love. You know, there are uh, not the, these aren't, these aren't the opinions of Cobalt Press, right? We're not Cobalt Press. Clay and I are speaking for ourselves as game masters, as players, as fans of tabletop role-playing games, and uh, as business professionals outside the game. Uh, so Wizards on the afternoon of January 27th announced that it will no longer re- be pursuing the deauthorization of the open gaming license 1.0a, abandoning plans previously previously stated uh, in the drafted OGL 1.2. Um, so all good news there. Um, the statement comes after a relentless fan backlash. The decision to uh, with the decision to deauthorize OGL 1.0a, which was revealed after IO9's Linda Kodega reported on the leaked OGL 1.1. 
Um, Wizards are also making the entire SRD 5.1 available under Creative Commons license, which is really cool, really huge deal. Uh, so we do applaud Wizards and Hasbro for coming up with uh, coming to their senses and listening to the customers. Yeah, so uh, on the 27th, Kyle Brink, uh, D&D's executive producer, stated on D&D Beyond that, quote, this Creative Commons license makes the content freely available for any use. We don't control that license and cannot alter or revoke it. It's open and irrevocable in a way that doesn't require you to take it. Uh, take our word for it. It's it, And its openness means that there's no need for a VTT policy. Placing the SRD under a Creative Commons license is a one-way door and there's no going back, unquote. Now, that, that's, this is huge news. You know, this was more than anybody, uh, you know, expected. And I think what drove their their decision was the survey, you know, their playtest survey, survey for OGL 1.2. And uh, they released some, uh, some, some statistics and it showed that 88% of respondents had no interest in publishing their work under the proposed OGL 1.2. And 89% were dissatisfied with deauthorizing OGL 1A. Now, these results are not a surprise given the vocal backlash from third-party publishers, VTT platforms, and the community. An online campaign to cancel D&D Beyond paid subscription has reportedly made a dent in Hasbro's revenue, and many game makers who use OGL 1A recently made plans to abandon the OGL, OGL altogether. But while this battle is won, you know, the war might not be over yet. You know, the community is still waiting to see the four corners of the contract, uh, despite the SRD's entry into the Creative Commons. And honestly, I didn't expect Wizards to go this far. And I'm wondering if there's another shoe to drop in the future. But in the end, there's going to be case studies written about this entire debacle, you know, by business schools for their students to study and debate how a Fortune 500 company broke the seven basic rules of business. You know, know your products, know your customers, don't do anything to impact your brand. Don't do anything to piss off your customers. Be humble. And number six, make money so you can create more products to delight your customers. And then there's the seventh rule. Reread rules one through six. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that, that all said, it's important to remember that uh, this is a victory. Like Clay said, you know, he's kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. The fight's not over, right? Um, we still have yet to see what's coming for 1D&D slash 6 whatever you want to call it, uh, which I would assume is going to be a more restrictive license. But with 5e safe, we now have that forever, which is really good news. So at the very least, you continue to play 5e. Developers can continue to publish products for it and uh, adjacent to it. So we have that forever. And that is, I think that's a big win. So yeah. we'll see what they do moving forward. But, you know, uh, even though 5th edition and Dungeons & Dragons is now protected by Creative Commons, um, you know, just keep in mind, watch for what, what's going to happen with 1D&D. And the controversy surrounding the OGL uh, incident has really uh, crippled Watsi's reputation uh, and blew up 50 years of goodwill and trust with his customers, or at least 20 years since Watsi's owned it. But, you know, the Dungeons & Dragons, you know, uh, product in general. Um, so while this is a big step in the right direction, 
Wizards will have to keep up this momentum if they want to earn back the community's trust. Um, we still fly the black flag on the Midgard show. I have it behind me. Uh, the Midgard Adventures Discord server and at GM Toolbox. Um, we wholeheartedly support the upcoming open RPG creative license known as Orc, yeah. uh, which is irrevocable. Uh, now, now that all this kind of stress is behind us, at least for now, uh, you know, we want to get back to what, you know, what makes us happy, what we do, which is, you know, making RPGs fun, playing RPGs, the lore, the storytelling, all the good stuff. Um, so with all that said, Clay, how's your game going? Oh, re really cool. Um, we did play Curse of Strahd Midgard uh, recently. We got a couple of episodes under our belt, uh, but, you know, I'll talk about that next time. But in the Southlands campaign, you know, it's an exciting time. You know, we're, we're, we're pushing towards the conclusion of the current story arc. And, uh, you know, just kind of to recap a little bit, you know, our heroes are in the ancient, in an ancient necropolis located next to Herrick, uh, which is on the river Nuria, and it's northwest of uh, Perbastet. Um, okay. You know, again, this was a, uh, a city in, in Nuria that was just kind of a sentence. So I kind of ran with it and, uh, you know, added my and own. Have you been uh, to Perbastet yet? Like, have they, have they gone down into Perbastet at all? They started there. Um, okay, so they, you were using like uh, the city of cats book and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, in, in Perbastet, um, you know, while the uh, you know the start off can't, uh, start off adventure was the uh, Crimson Obulette, uh, which was uh, written and published in in the Warlock series at that time, and uh, so I introduced them to you know the the part of of Perbastet that's largely abandoned, um, kind of uh, a seedier uh, place. And I positioned the Crimson Obulet as a, an abandoned prison, you know, that's built deep in the uh, bedrock. Over the years, it, it, it has been taken over by, you know, this huge ooze that has grown to seven, eight, ten stories high. And, uh, and when you first arrive and see it, you kind of see this wobbling, a bit of jello uh, that kind of looks like a big giant waterbed. And so they have to kind of figure out how uh, to make their way uh, uh, down uh, below uh, to the bottom uh, to seek the, uh, the artifacts that they were tasked uh, by the Golden Antiquities uh, Company to uh, find. But, um, but that, was, that was like two years ago. Uh, so now they're in Herrick and uh, they are tracking a po powerful necromatic energy in hopes that it will lead them to the zealous necromancer behind the undead uprising that has taken hold of Herrick. And they're also seeking out a powerful artifact, forgotten the history that they've been tasked to recover. So, you know, they're in this, uh, in this uh, tomb that was built underneath an abandoned observatory that was dedicated to Foth, Hermes and Horus. And uh, some cultists are, are, are pursuing them and they're trying to keep them at bay and behind them. You know, they, they've made their way through a, a sanctuary where uh, some of the uh, relatives of the of the family of priests and priestesses uh, were interred. You know, the setup was, you know, you, you hear a lot of banging on the uh, lids, you know, from behind these curtains. And, uh, you know, four or five of them broke out of their their uh, coffin and they're slowly making their way uh, towards them. So, you know, there's that added pressure of, you know, creatures heading their way, um, some cultists that are trying to uh, get at them, 
And, you know, it's kind of a, a, a mechanic I use to kind of keep pushing, you know, the uh, PCs forward and right. also as a way to kind of, uh, uh, you know, grind down their resources. So, so, you know, my heroes, you know, a wacky group of people, you know, they have this habit of searching for traps in the wrong place and, and ignoring <laughs> places where they should search trap for traps. And this session was no different, you know, so, you know, they're fleeing the undead. They want to put more room behind themselves in the pursuing cultists. And so they open the uh, next set of doors and they see this tiny little room, you know, 10 by 20 uh, wide, you know, containing two statues on either side. And, you know, it's a trap. This is one of those uh, things that they should be looking for. And so in their haste, they uh, went into the room to the other set of double doors, and they all got blasted with about 10 D8 of lightning damage. And that was a lot of lightning damage. What and level are yeah, they? Huh? What level are they? Oh, I'm sorry, level eight. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. That's and, a lot of damage, even at level eight, man. That, that's yeah, brutal. Yeah, a lot of damage, you know. And I, I rolled the 10 D8, and, you know, of course, it didn't get up to 80, but it was still in the 50s, you know. That's, so, that's above average damage. Yeah, so, you know, they're in a hurry, understandably. And, and you know, so we, we have the two sets of, of, of PCs. You know, we have the let's, let's move forward at, at all cost, and then the other half are like, you first. You know, we'll watch to see what happens. You know, so the, the U first members of the party stood back and kept the uh, undead at bay while a smaller, while the smaller group was getting fried by the lightning. Now, nice. after they saw that, you know, we, we have a, a, a Hiroti rogue, you know, which is Raven folk or Haru in other mm -hmm. parts uh, in Midgard. Uh, that character's name is Ven Venka. You know, he's a spell casting rogue and he set a mage hand through the room to test out, to test out to see how the trap triggers. And that was a pretty clever tactic because as the mage hand was floating across the room, you know, there, no lightning came out of the uh, statues. Um, we have another rogue in our party. That's a thief. It's an Nkosi uh, named Shadow. She had enough strength to make the running jump and was able to clear the 10 foot gap, which also did not trigger the trap. Um, we have this very quiet tiefling warlock named Valsis. He just used Misty Step to bypass the, the trap right. altogether, which left our druid, our human druid, Kriv, uh, our Asimer uh, paladin, who's also a bounty hunter named Percival, and Venka, you know, the Haruti. So Kriv, being the druid that he is, wild-shaped into a giant octopus he calls Rocktopus, uh, to bridge the gap and to, uh, you know, allow the uh, other members of the party to, to try to pass safely. But, you know, Rocktopus is kind of slippery, and Percival failed his acrobatics check and fell to the floor, which triggered the lightning. You know, Kriv took all the lightning damage. Percival crawled underneath the Kriv and then crawled his way out to safety. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, Venkin, you know, you know, you know, used Kriv as a, as a, a bridge, you know, a smoldering uh, bridge uh, to get <laughs> the smaller. other side. And then, you know, Kriv... Uh, came across and uh, wild shaped back uh, into his human form. Um, so, you know, he was kind of smoking for a while. You know, they barred the doors with javelins and uh, roped up the uh, handles to guard their flank from the pursuing uh, uh, mummies and, you know, the cultists. But uh, a bunch of more exp exploration ensued. Explore, yeah. yeah and, uh, and where we left off was they came across this room that had this head in a cage. 
and uh, it was a mummified head and and reanimated and verbally abusive. Uh, and the head was attended to by three skeleton guards. And so I had to play this 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 head as your t- stereotypical overbearing, obnoxious sitcom mother-in-law. And I based her voice like Estelle Constanza from Seinfeld, you know, this high screechy, you know, annoying uh, voice. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we ended the game bid combat, but, you know, the memorable moment was that, you know, Marcus, you know, the same character that chopped off his left arm, you know, to uh, uh, pay to get access to uh, a, a device that he was, he wanted to get to to track some necromatic energy. Well, he was out in the hallway um, and he threw the sl- slow spell into the room. And the, the slow spell has a really interesting me- mechanic. You know, if the creature uh, attempts to cast a spell with a casting time of one action, the caster has to roll a d20. Now, I typically am a terrible roller. I roll low frequently. And the, the spell says on 11 or higher, the head, uh, on 11 or higher, the spell doesn't take effect until the creature's next turn. Well, guess what? I roll high. I roll a 17, you know, so, you know, the, the, the spell doesn't take effect, you know, so the way I played this was, you know, you see this, you know, moat of fire coming out of her mouth and it's just slowly making its way to the uh, target point. And so that gave, you know, the, the, the PCs another round to whack at the skeletons and to get out of the way. And finally, when the, when the, the head was able to complete her spell casting, you know, the, the fireball exploded and no one was in the area of effect. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that was, that was pretty cool. Now, now, you know, if, if, if our audience, you know, Oh, this story sounds familiar, you know, well, yeah, it is. I, you know, I, I adapted a Pathfinder adventure, uh, from the mummy's mask adventure path. And okay. I, uh, you know, changed it up to, you know, made it more Midgardy. And I used this, uh, this as a, a story arc. So, That's you know, perfect. don't be afraid to use Paizo content. It's, it's fairly uh, yeah. easy to uh, convert. And, uh, and, you know, the, the content is just wonderful. So, yeah, so definitely so don't need more stuff is great. Yeah. So Joe, how I are your games going? Uh, not, they're not, I, I, we haven't had a chance to play, honestly. Uh, you know, because I have the, the my my channel and everything, the whole OGL debacle kind of consumed the last couple weeks of my life. Like, I feel like I could breathe again now. Um, so that's good. Uh, but I have been doing a lot of game prep. Um, so I am trying to make my Midgard game a little bit more sandbox. You know, I really when we did our character creation. Um, you know, I said, listen, you three are going to somehow know each other at the start of the campaign. And you three are going to somehow know each other at the start of the campaign. I let them figure that out and write their backstories, which they've done. Um, and, you know, using that, I'm going, you know, they all have different reasons for having arrived at Zobek. Um, so now that I have that, I'm trying to make a flow chart of all these different possible paths that they may take and, you know, where it might lead. Um, it's definitely making my prep a little bit harder. Uh, but I've got about three or four adventures, possible adventures, ready to go at this point, depending on what they do. Um, currently, I've, I've, you know, we did, I, I mentioned last time about how we did uh, Dib's Wagon of Doom as a way to introduce them to each other. They were all in the square at the same time. Uh, they met Black Eye, who then gave him a tour and dropped them off at the Dancing Bear. 
Uh, and then I introduced them to an NPC that's kicking them into uh, Everyone Lies, which is a great entry-level, level-one adventure by Ben McFarlane. It's in the Clockwork City book. Uh, and if, if you don't have that one, if you have Streets of Zobac, it's in there as well. Uh, but it's a fun little adventure that will really do a good job introducing them to Zobac as a whole. And it takes you through all different parts of Zobac, which I really like. So after that's over, you know, now it's like, what are they going to do next? So some possibilities I have is uh, our cleric is a, she, she's from Stanisgard. Uh, and I think the name of her uh, god up there, because she's a, a life cleric, is uh, Boldar. Um, but Boldar is really just a mask of Lada. Um, and so in my version of Midgard, uh, the those two churches are, you know, even if they don't believe it's the same god, they believe uh, th that they're they're kind of like uh, they're friendly with each other. They're, they're, they get along. They're kind of like sister, um, you know, sister clergies or something like that. So uh, our cleric was sent to Zobek to seek the help of the high priestess, uh, Luca Anjali, um, to see if what aid uh, that the, the Church of Lada can provide uh, in Stanisgard to help build their church there. Because their church there is fairly young. Uh, it's not their prime. It's not definitely not one of the bigger churches there. And they're looking to increase their influence and do things. So, uh, you know, what what will probably happen is that uh, Luca will send them on kind of a trial quest. And I'm thinking they're going to go into the Margrave and I'm going to do the Honey Queen as a, kind of a, 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 a kind of initial trial. And eventually that will lead to a longer pilgrimage because uh, the clerics of Lada have to go to this healing school in the south. So that'll kind of kick off something bigger for my cleric. Right in the meantime, we have this fighter from the far east, from uh, what would, you know, essentially be the real world version of Japan, whose family was all moving. They were fleeing a war and um, they basically got sucked into the Shadow Realm and um, he got lost in the Shadow Realm. He doesn't know what happened to his parents, anything like that. Wow. He recently was pulled out of the Shadow Realm uh, in a lace storm by our wizard in the party, who's a Ravenfolk wizard, who is going to be a uh, geomancer and was trying to tap a ley line in the Margrave, which was way too powerful and it kind of blew up. And uh, so now he finds himself near Zobek with this bard and this wizard who were both traveling with a, like a troop of performers. All those performers just disappeared in that ley storm. So now it's just the three of them and they're heading into Zobek. Um, so he's going to be seeking his parents who, um, I'm thinking may have been sold off into uh, slavery or something like that because there is a lot of shady stuff that happens in, in Zobek around that. And we're actually going to talk about that later today in our episode. But um, I, I'm thinking that he might be somewhere down to the uh, to the east a bit. Uh, there's a whole kind of kingdom over there that does deal a lot in the slave trade. So I, I might end up sending him that way for that. And in the meantime, the wizard, his whole thing is, you know, the, the raven folk generally don't practice geomancy. He wants to show that geomancy is a viable form of magic for his people. Right. So he wants to go visit all the different magic schools. And the collegium is going to be his first one. So he's looking to uh, get some help there. And it's not going to be an easy thing for him to just walk in and do. Uh, but to help maybe kind of get him a uh, foot in the door, I'm thinking about eventually having um, some people hire him to help uh, with you know, a missing friend, and that's going to be the adventure Death of a Mage, which 
was originally in a warlock, but is now in the clockwork book. So mm-hmm. I think that's another possibility. Uh, so I've got a couple of adventure paths laid out. Um, I'm trying to think what I'm going to do with the others because we have a rogue from uh, the Southlands who had to flee um, north. And she's not looking forward to going back down that way. And she's more kind of along for the ride with her friend, the dwarf, and uh, and their other friend, a Cholkin, which is fun because, generally speaking, dwarves and Cholkin do not get along north. And I told the two of them, because I have this Trollkin barbarian and this dwarven cleric, I told them, you two need to figure out a reason why you are best friends. It's got to, <laughs> because normally your people would hate each other. I want you to come up with a whole story on why you two are like, I mean, like best, best friends. And they did. Oh, wow. So, what what a task to surmount. Yeah, yeah. They did a great job. They did, they, like, literally the barbarian was supposed to kill the cleric's, like, leader, yeah. Uh, and they were, and and the rogue was actually part of that group that was going to go kill them, and then werewolves attacked, and they all kind of had a fight alongside each other, and the dwarf saved the barbarian's life, wow. and uh, now she felt indebted, and like the cleric was really nice to them to her, and you know they kind of formed this friendship, and she realized that she was being manipulated and whatnot, so now they're they're very good friends. So it was a cool backstory. I was really impressed considering they're both. Still fairly, you know, amateur D&D players. They've only played one campaign in their life, and that was with me. Uh, so I was very, very impressed with their backstory. So I have a lot of good material to work with, except for my bard, who she is a law student and super busy, and she still hasn't even given me her bard's name, let alone a backstory. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so working with that. but yeah, Maybe uh, you'll yeah. get a legal brief instead of a backstory, huh? Yeah, I mean, she's awesome. Don't get me wrong. She's she's oh, yeah. one of the most funny players. She played a rogue in her last campaign, and she is hilarious. But uh, she's playing this teenage, moody, kind of emo bard, half-elf bard. And I think it's going to be funny. I think she's going to do a great job with it. But she just needs to take, like, an afternoon and come up with some information or character for me because she's the only one who hasn't done it. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I've got these plans. I like the idea of the flow chart. I think a lot of people should maybe think about that, especially if you want to do a sandbox is how sandboxy can you really get and, and have content? So it's nice to say like, all right, here's three, four, five possibilities and mm-hmm. start planning out and seeing what all the connections are, you know, or n- not even a flow chart. You get, there's a, something called the mind map. If you've never seen it, look it up. But mind maps basically allow you to just draw all these different connections. So that's what I'm trying to do is draw all these connections and see how things actually can and will intermingle. And it's a, an interesting method for running a D&D game. But I think it's going to be cool. Um, you know, sandboxes are intimidating to run. So... But I really want to give it a shot. And there's actually an article, and Clay, maybe we can post it in the show notes. It's a, a Cobalt Press blog that tells you how you can use all the different little one shots and small adventures that Cobalt Press publishes and turn them into a campaign, how they can connect and how you can send your players from location to location. Because that's essentially what I'm trying to do is take all these different smaller modules and interconnect them. And meantime, homebrew an overarching story arc and their their own personal stories all into that uh and it's a challenge but man it's gonna be fun i really like it i really really like it so like rather than running empire of ghouls or scarlet citadel i'm taking a bunch of different one shots and different material and even stuff from like you said like pathfinder and things like that and i'm trying to mismatch this this campaign 
and figure out how I can not just do a bunch of one shots, but make it all connect somehow. Yeah. And that's the great thing about sandboxes. You never know what the character is going to be doing. Um, yeah. You know, characters evolve o- over time, you know, a lot of times evolve uh, beyond their backstory. So having all of these little things that you can plug in, you know, depending on which direction they go is, is, is a very helpful tactic as a, as a GM. Yeah. Like I said, man, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but it's, I think it's going to be fun. It's something I've wanted to do, uh, you know, but I think also as a good GM, you can't leave it so open that you, there's no way you can prep, right? Like right. I've got, I've given them seeds. It's a matter of which seed they're going to take and run with. Right. Uh, so it still feels very open for them. Uh, and, you know, and plus I've got this entire setting. So if they just ignore stuff, that's fine. Those wheels are still going to be turning and things are going to happen if they want to ignore the seeds. But I've got this entire Zobek setting right now to play with and Midgard as a whole to play with that even if they go off in another direction, I've, I can come up with quick seeds and quick things that I can insert because, you know, these books that, that Cole Press put out are super handy for that, that I can yeah. just grab something and run with it. So I'm excited. That's great. So, so it, why don't we hop into our main topic then, man? I'm kind of, uh, you know, I want to kind of talk about Zobek and some of the areas and, and, you know, dive in a little bit to maybe its leadership and some of the, uh, you know, some of the different uh, locations in Zobek today. Yeah, definitely. You know, last episode, we, we focused on the history of Zobek from the beginning uh, to the Great Revol- Re- Revolt. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where the citizens of Zobek freed themselves from the rule of the Strauss family. So over the next few episodes, you know, maybe, you know, a little bit more, we're going to spend a lot of time to talk about the Zobek of today, uh, give you a tour of the city's districts, introduce you to some prominent personalities that you can use in your games. A couple reminders, though, we only discuss published material and our interpretation of that content. There are many ways to use Midgard content, and there will be times that even Joe and I have a different approach and opinion which is what really makes RPGs cool in the first place. So we always say your mileage may vary. Uh, Most importantly, we encourage you to talk about your interpretation of the lore in the comments below or in our show channel on the Midgard Adventures Discord service. Uh, There is an invitation in the show notes if you'd like to join and check us out. So let's get it on. Joe, where should we start? Well, I think we should start with the leadership of Zobek. That's kind of a good place, right? Okay. Um, We've talked about the history and, and what led us here in this revolt and things like that. If you recall, one of the things we talked about was even how they, the rebels got the city guard on board by saying, you know, we're going to have a council and the captain of the guard will always have a place on that council seat. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think leadership is a good place to start. And uh, the main thing is that uh, it is a free city. There's no king. Uh, there's no noble lords per se. Uh, what we do have is we have a mayor. And right now, uh, the mayor is this dwarven merchant uh, named uh, Constantina Olick, I believe is how you pronounce her name. Uh, she's fairly new to the job. If you go back to the uh, the Pathfinder series, uh, there was a different mayor. So this mayor has been around for a few years and uh, doing you know pretty well. Uh, and then we have a council as well that kind of helps uh, govern the city in a way. But and we'll, we'll kind of get into the council here in a little bit. But some general stats on Zobek as of today. Uh, the, general, the population is about 16,000 and growing. Uh, that's about 12,000 humans, uh, about 2,800 kobolds, 850 dwarves, 
uh, 200 gear forge, and then the rest, the uh, other 150 so, we'll just say is other. Uh, not gnomes. There's not many gnomes uh, that live in Zobek because the kobolds hate gnomes. Uh, so the gnomes don't feel safe there. So yeah. keep that in mind. If you do bring a gnome into the city, they should always be watching their back for kobold attacks. Uh, and really, anybody should be watching their, their back for kobold attacks and, and thieving kobolds in Zobek because that's that's something they do. Yeah. Uh, now, now, there are the surrounding cross- towns, right? Oh, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Yeah, the crossroads regions is, is is made up of a bunch of of towns, you know. So yeah. so think of uh, Zobek as a city state, like Venice, you know, was a city state. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you got uh, Nuradel, um, small population, you know, more of a village, you know, about forty three hundred people. Um, you got Ober Obersteinau, uh, which uh, is a little bit smaller, about thirty two hundred. Uh, most of those are the kobolds, and the rest are humans. Humans. Um, there's the Vassalau Mines, um, which is near uh, Castle Shadowcrag, and uh, pretty much the entire population is cobalt. It's about 2,800 uh, cobalt. Yeah, the the Vassalau are those are the are those the silver mines or the iron mines? I can't remember because I know there's uh, both. a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, mostly silver though. Um, and then Altbach, uh, which is uh, you know mostly humans and and dwarves. You know, a total population of about 2,200. Right. And then, you know, of course we have castles, right? We have, we have the surrounding castles. So there's Gelberg, there's uh, Obertal, there's, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher some of these names just so we know. Uh, Ramara, I think is how you say the one. Ramauer. Uh, Ramauer. Mm-hmm. Uh, St- uh, Did I say that one right? Stevenstor. Uh, Stevenstor. See, I told you I'm yeah. terrible with names, but yeah, most importantly, go ahead. No, no, you're you're hearing a lot of German, Germanic. Uh, yeah, in, yeah, there yeah. is there is a lot of German influence, and I'm terrible at German. Uh, but the most important, in my opinion, in the region, of course, is Shadowcrag, which we talked about last time because that was originally the the Strass Castle. That's where the whole story that we told in last episode all started. And you know, I mentioned last time that there is a five E adventure that you can go to Shadowcrag, and you get to like go into the past a bit and see a lot of this history play out. It's called Return to Castle Shadowcrag. Uh, it is an extremely hard book to find because it was print only. There's no PDF, and it was a Kickstarter exclusive that they think they did when they released the World Book. Uh, but I'm happy to say that I recently acquired a copy uh, that I found on, on eBay, and I was. So excited. So I now have Return to Castle Shadowcrag, and I cannot wait to run it. I'm very, very excited. That's definitely going in the game, by the way. We're, 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 we're working that in somehow. Yeah. I need a good hook to get them on that, but we're doing it. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing, obviously, that influences the city uh, is, you know, actually the gods, uh, which is a little weirder in Zobek because I mentioned Lada. That's the healing goddess. And she actually has two temples there. And the high priestess of Lada resides in Zobek. Uh, we have Holda, we have Perun, we've got uh, 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 Svarag or Voland, uh, mm-hmm. but most importantly, we have Rava, the gear goddess. She is the patron goddess of the city. Um, you know, the dwarves of, of Zobek especially worship her. The dwarves of Zobek are kind of a weird bunch to begin with. They're not like any other dwarves. Uh, yeah. they, are, they are very different than your average dwarf. Uh, yeah, any so, dwarf from the Iron Holda. Crags will come down and yeah. just not even understand these 
these dwarves in Zoba. Yeah, and I mean, even the, the the dwarves from the north, the north, the like the Stratoscar dwarves, they're like, what are what's going on with these dwarves? They they are mm-hmm. they are a different bunch, but they're super cool. Um, you know, and they develop like ring magic and things like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, R- Rava is is the goddess of uh, of Zobek. She, that, that yeah. She's the main one. A lot of a lot of people will maybe worship one of the other gods, but then like everybody also worships Rava. Like she, she's very important to them people there. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the the overview of Zobek. Um, but then you know when we start looking into like some of the people, like we said. Uh, I guess I'll mention the dwarves first since we're already talking about them. They are a group that is very into their craft. Unlike the other dwarves of Zobek uh, that maybe worship, you know, war, uh, battle, um, you know, a lot of them will worship uh, Thor and things like that. Uh, these dwarves worship Rava. They are all about creation. Um, they developed ring magic. You'll see them with rings in their beards and on their fingers, uh, even rings over their, their entranceways to their homes to protect them. Uh, you know, many of them uh, are, you know, do like clockwork type of stuff. Um, many dwarves, up until recently, uh, most uh, gear forged were either human or dwarves. Uh, now you're starting to see other races, but um, many of the dwarves even help craft the the gear forge they are they are a, a people of craft mm-hmm. and they mostly stay up in the gear district of the city which we'll get into the gear district probably in another episode but uh such a unique cool bunch and i my my group hasn't been up there really yet i'm looking forward to getting them up there just to get my dwarven cleric's reaction uh you know to see you know when they when she sees these very different dwarves for the first time uh, so it should be pretty pretty cool. Um, what else? What, what what's your what, what what's your favorite of the uh, the people of Zobek? Yeah, you know, well, you know, we'll be remiss at, at at saying that you know humans do make up the 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 population of of, of Zobek, the greater greater part yep. of the population, and a lot of them are are immigrants, you know, from other parts of of the area. Mm-hmm. Um, most have hailed from the Midgar kingdom, which is to the South. Um, some from the, uh, Duchy of Perun's daughter, uh, Salzbach, yep. uh, Greisel, uh, which, uh, which is now, uh, occupied by dwarves, but, you know, in the early days, uh, humans founded that. And there's humans that have fled, uh, Mor- Morg- Morgau and Doresh, you know, the vampire kingdom. And, uh, but, you know, others have trickled in from all over Midgard, you know, from the Southlands and Northlands. And there's even a few Kariv uh, that have uh, made it into the city as their permanent home. And that's kind of a big yeah. deal because Kariv are wanderers. Um, in fact, if they start, stop moving, um, you know, they, they are unable to re- reproduce. And, and so f- to, to be able to enlarge their families, you know, the, the Kariv that are on the uh, Rathurian Plains, you know, they, uh, they, they don't stay in one place very long, you know. Uh, but, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the skin tones of all the humans vary. Um, and, uh, and there are dozens of languages, you know, that yeah. uh, echo through the area. But uh, you'll hear you common, know, but you'll hear a lot of other stuff, too, in the streets yeah. of Zobek. But my favorite are the kobolds. You know, oh, yes. the Thank kobolds are—they're—they're—they're they're, they're not these um, this fodder that uh, 
that uh, in Forgotten Realms that you, you just toss into a battle, you know, to get slaughtered. You know, the kobolds, you know, they're small. They're super smart. Fierce. They are resourceful. And and uh, they essentially founded the, the, the area. Um, you know, they were the ones that first occupied the uh, area where um, the Dury River and the uh, Argent River uh, combine. And they started there, you know, by mining. But, uh, but you know, if you recall the history, uh, you know, from our last episode, they were enslaved uh, by the Strauss family and by the um, uh, Shadow Elves uh, to uh, work the uh, silver mines um, and uh, fill the coffers of, of the Strauss family. They live in the Cobalt Ghetto, which, you know, we'll talk about, about a little bit. Yep. They're, they're nocturnal, you know, so, you know, they're, they're, they're generally regarded as, as, as second-class citizens. But, you know, I see them more as you've got the people that live their lives during the day, and you've got the people that live their lives during the night. And the Cobalts yep. are, are the ones that live uh, at night. You know, they have their own culture. Um, you know, their own way of doing things. In fact, you know, you'll hear more you know, talk about the cobalt ghetto is the cobalt ghetto is sized to their size. You know, these are creatures that are about three feet tall, but, uh, but a good chunk of the population is, uh, of Zobek is, is, uh, is of cobalt race. Yeah. And, you know, keep in mind that too, like if you're, if your players are out in, in Zobek at night, they're going to see little groups bands of kobolds and kobolds are you know one of the features of a kobold is pack tactics they stay in packs yeah. they'll you know go in groups of five or ten you'll see them dirty from the mines walking around they're hitting the bars they're looking to pick fights they might be out to just you know rob somebody but they're everywhere you know they're, they're they'll always be in packs and i will suggest um if you uh are gonna be interacting with kobolds Pick up the book. The monsters know what they're doing. Every every DM should have that book, anyways, to run fights. But read the section on kobolds in there, especially uh, because I read that, and then you know you're looking at at the, the kobolds in Midgard, and you're like, yeah, it, it really talks about how they're going to act in a fight and in a combat, and how they really are going to utilize those pack tactics. And you get that feel of the kobolds in Midgard, I think, because they are very uh, organized is the best way I can say it. They, they really do stick together. They're, they are a force to be reckoned with in Zobek. Yeah, they're sure. also a population of craftsmen, you know? Yeah. They're Clock the work. ones that, you know, created the uh, mechanical works that, uh, that keep Zobek humming, you know, lower, or, yeah. uh, raise the bridge, lower the bridge. Yep. Um, they uh, are, were also part of the uh, group that helped uh, create Gearforged. You know, as yeah, well. Yeah, uh, there's some of them are renowned clockwork uh, artists. They even have a kobold in the Collegium that's a magic user. Mm -hmm. So they are very diverse people. Uh, kobolds in Midgard, you know, are are very rich. And, you know, I think maybe some of that is the namesake of Kobold Press. They really want to give the kobolds that extra breath of life in this setting, but it works so, so well. You know, small but fierce, right? Small that's what we say fierce. about the kobolds. And then, yeah. you know, I was going to, I don't mean to circle back too much here, but you were mentioning the, the Kiv uh, for the humans. The Kariv, uh, yeah. And I always kind of thought of them as, uh, what's the name of the group? Because you're doing a Curse of Strahd game. Uh, right. What's the name of the humans? The the Vistani or, or? Yeah, the Vistani. Uh, I replaced the Vistani with the Kariv. 
Yeah, that's exactly that's that's the perfect comparison. Very similar yeah. culture right there. So keep that in mind if you're like trying to get a real world equivalent for them. Very, very much uh, that 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 nomadic type of people, and right. you know, um, good replacement there. Of course, I guess the the other one we we have to mention is what maybe what you know Zobek is most known for is the Gear Forge. It's the home of the Gear Forge. We talked about the creation of the Gear Forge during the revolt. And to this day, some of those gear forged are still alive. They, you know, they're, I don't want to call them quite immortal because they can die, um, but they, they can live a very long time. They, their memories are long. Yeah. Um, you know, often becoming a, becoming a gear forge can be an expensive process. So often new gear forge are uh, rich merchants who want to extend their lives. Um, but it can also be, maybe criminals who are looking for a reprieve. That's, you know, life in prison, execution, or you become a gear forge and serve the city for a hundred years kind of right. deal. Um, so often that's what you end up getting as well is, is these people who uh, it was a second chance to, you know, uh, at life for them. And so the, the gear forge themselves are this very unique variety of people with a soul and life. But recently, they started experimenting with this other type of gear forge that are, um, rather than using souls of living people, they're capturing the essence of elementals. And they are a little bit different because they don't have that personality and things like that. But what people are finding is that they can be taught. They can earn a personality. They can, they can learn to be more life like and they will tell jokes they they understand what's going on they're and they are they are perhaps sentient and it's this kind of controversy that some people are like you know this is enslavement because these other gear forge will do things unquestionably if they're not taught otherwise they will attack without question they will work 24 7 uh they will do whatever they're told unquestionably but it turned there's this group of almost kind of like rebels that are kidnapping them and stealing them and and teaching them and you know they're learning to become something more and so you have this whole uh, uh moral dilemma kind of happening so that's a great story hook too if that's something that you want to get your party into especially if one of your party is a gear forge uh what are their feelings on these elemental gear forge that are are being perhaps enslaved, perhaps, you know, abused, uh, they can learn, they can develop personalities. So very interesting dynamic there. And I also and, mentioned and, earlier that, you know, most gear forge would be humans or dwarves, but we are seeing other races now becoming gear forge as well. Right. And, and, and the, the gear forge, uh, race aren't just like humanoid looking, you know, they can be dwarf, cobalt, uh, yeah. uh any race. You know, so it's it's very interesting that there's this, uh, you know, moral dilemma, you know, playing in the background about uh, creating these automatons to just work and work and work. Right. And, and, and so forth. Um, you know, the, the one one pervasive element in in the Midgard uh, camp, uh, the Midgard setting itself is is slavery. And, you know. That's when you're kind of treading into kind of X card world. Um, you know, if you're going to include, you know, these elements as part of your storylines, you know, do talk with your uh, uh, players, you know, to make sure that they're, they're comfortable with it. Uh, sometimes it's yeah. hard to kind of extract, you know, that uh, dark history, uh, you know, from the lore. 
but it, it's 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 something that you can just hand wave and and not even you know bring up as part of your game. But uh, you know, do know that uh, that that is a sensitive topic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, always you know, kind of do your do your homework with your players. Do your session zero. Know what their their hard nose are. I mean, me and my players who are you know pretty open to most anything have some hard nose that I won't touch in our games. So yeah. Um, yeah, keep that in mind. And then, uh, as far as the the the, the Gearforge go, uh, I believe in Tomer Heroes. You you did the the Foundry conversion Tomer Heroes. There are some new Gearforged uh, sub races in there, right? Cobalt is one of them, but okay. there's a few others as well. So, uh, if you have Midgard Heroes Handbook, you might only see Dwarf and and Human, but if you get Tomer Heroes, you should see some more types, newer types of Gearforge that are now being developed. So, right, right. You know, a lot of there, there's Cobalt Gearforge. Uh, you can even make up your own. You know, you can have a troll king gear, gear forged. And, sure. You know, yeah. a centaur gear gear forged. You know, just so, come up so with a good really reason not, why. Yeah, you're really not, um, you know, limited to R two D two like or, or even C three PO creatures. C three PO. Yeah. yeah. So you know. yeah, I mean, gear forged are a very very cool thing. I always, you know, they're kind of like the war forged, but a little different, I think. And I, they're very unique. I like them a lot. Uh, one of my players almost chose a gear forged, but he went with the uh, the raven folk instead. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious to get a, a gear forge in my game at some point and see how it goes. Yeah, and with the extension of the race in, in Tome of Heroes, um, you know, the the world's your oyster. I mean, uh, pick it up. Pick it up. T t uh, add your own uh, spin to it and uh, and go with it. And, uh, you know, gear forge is a little tougher to play. Uh, not that that hard. Uh, but uh, you know, healing is different uh, for for these uh, for this race, and uh, and 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 maintenance is, is is required. You know, they they are you know essentially machines, but uh, but you know they they are they have a very rich culture as well, and 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 you know there are other races that uh, reside in in um, Zobak, which you know more out of the way, you know, they live in the cartways, you know, which is the undercity, oh, yeah. uh, you know, made up of, you know, old mining tunnels and sewers and stuff like that. So there you'll find Darakul, yeah. Nagas, uh, Darrow, Devils, Elves, Ghouls, Goblins, Halflings, Lizard not folks. gnomes. Not gnomes. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to talk, talk about what the deal with gnomes are in Midgard <laughs> in, in a future episode. They've all been punted over the wall. Right. But Zobek has a, a very rich culture, you know, a lot of it good, a lot of it uh, not so good. But they, yeah. the, the one thing that they value most, all Zobekers value most is, is commerce, you know, and their freedom. You know, they, they yes. guard both of those, you know, fiercely. And uh, every year they celebrate their hard-won freedom uh, during the uh, Strauss Fall celebrations. And none yep. of them forget that freedom can be tenuous. And, yes. you know, it's almost like Bastille Day. Uh, I, 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 I'm pretty sure. I would have to yeah, imagine that's, that that's uh, this was, uh, was uh, um, you know, Bastille Day was, was an influence uh, to this. But, yeah, uh, for you sure. know, but, you know, this, this festival, you know, celebrates Zobek's um, thanks, you know, daily for the ability to run their own lives and are not yeah. under the tyranny of, of uh, one family. And, right. uh, and, you know, during that celebration, you know, they celebrate their patron deity, Rava. Uh, you know, because it was her that inspired the Gearford creations. And uh, also, um, you know, 
it's just a reminder for for Zobeckers to to stand ever vigilant, you know, against you know slavery, against cults, uh, you know, uh, against you know nobles that uh, you know feel that they are better uh, uh, than anybody else. Um, yep. As far as languages go, you know, common is 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 predominant. Um, you know, there are uh, people who speak in the northern tongue. Uh, dwarven, Draconic, of course, are other popular languages because of the dwarves and the uh, kobolds that uh, live there. And, uh, you know, even the Gearforge kind of have their own uh, uh, language as well. Yeah. Well, the other thing to keep in mind, too, and uh, I, 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 I don't remember the page uh, in, in the Midgard World Book, but there is a page that shows all the languages of Midgard. Mm -hmm. So keep in mind that uh, in generally speaking, in, in most D&D settings, humans speak common. Well, here, that's not the case common is just a common language that most peoples will you know know to make plain dnd easier but uh each of the cultures that we mentioned earlier the human cultures many of them have their own languages so you will hear all of those languages spoken on the streets of zobak and when you know i had my players roll up their characters i gave them the list and i said here's the list of all the languages uh the other thing too is on our mid our midgard adventures uh discord server we do have that list as well uh, part of the character creation process. So you can, you know, we, we got some great resources for creating characters because we talk about, you know, what races and what classes and stuff like that you'll find in, in uh, Midgard. So if you ever are looking at what are my restrictions around around Midgard, uh, check out uh, the, the Discord service that has that info. But I wanted to bring something up because you said Zobeckers. Is it not Zobeckians? Uh What's the deal there? Yeah, well, um, that that Zobeckers is uh, what is uh, written in the book, and uh, mm -hmm. I originally called them Zobeckians, you know, as yes. well. But they're, uh, but but in they the uh, new Clockwork City book, you know, they're referred to as Zobeckers. Yeah, well, the people there prefer to be called Zobeckers, and this is something I actually was reading on. There's a, there's a little thing on page 17 of the Clockwork book called Zobeckers and Zobeckians. Yeah. And basically, Zobeckers, that's what they refer to themselves as, is Zobeckers. That's what they want to be called. But many people on the outside will say Zobeckians, and they'll be like, yeah, whatever, you know. They, they kind of let it roll off. But late at night, you get a few drinks in you, and you start saying Zobeckians, you might end up in a fight. <laughs> Take it a little personally, you know. So outsiders can kind of uh, piss them off a little bit uh, by calling them the wrong thing. So keep that in mind. Fun, tiny little, that's it's one of those tiny little details that I love about the setting uh, that you can throw in there is, you know, I would have thought Zobeckians too, but yeah, they go by Zobeckers and they they might take offense to being called Zobeckians. So keep that yeah. in mind. So that's kind of a nice, uh, fun little twist that you can you yeah, know, throw at your players. For sure, for sure. You know, so, but, you know, and like you were saying, you know, commerce is kind of their main thing. The only thing they value more than commerce is their freedom. But that said, we've talked about their freedom. The commerce part of it, Zobek, if you recall, we, we showed the map last week. Uh, it is it is a crossroad. It, it's not only uh, the, the center of the crossroad regions. It's pretty much the center of Midgard. All these roads go through it. The rivers go through it. Uh, it is it is almost like Rome in that sense. All, all roads lead to Zobek. So they have trade by the roads. There's the road south. There mm -hmm. is the river Argent. 
Uh, there is, uh, you know, so they have barges coming in and out. They send silks all the way down to the Southlands and they send, you know, they're, they're receiving furs from the Northlands. Uh, I mean, you name it, it comes through Zobek. This is a, a hub of commerce and it's something that they value so much. And it's such a big part of their lives. Uh, you know, there are people who though, who, you know, we, we keep thinking of all these these uh, gear workers and, 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 you know, uh, merchants and stuff like that. There's a huge population of people who are just commoners who, you know, are, are wait staff and, you know, repairmen and, you know, work more common jobs. That, that is a big thing, but they work and, and people come to Zobek. It's almost like, I also think of it kind of like New York, you go there to make it, you know, right. it's like a place that anybody can go and make something of themselves. You know, they go there with hope. Uh, sometimes there's people there who are refugees from uh, the, you know, the undead kingdom. What is it called? Uh, the the Mor Morgu? Morgu? Duchy of Morgu and Duresh. Yeah. Morgau and Duresh. Yep. So there'll be, there'll be people who escape there and come to Zobek and try to make a life there for themselves. Uh, so there is, uh, it, it's this city of opportunity. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because when you walk in, you might see it as this really cool, wow, this place is neat. You know, your renters are walking through and the, people working and people selling stuff and this and that. But as we start to dig deeper, there is a very seedy underbelly. You know, like I said, you get out there at night, you got kobolds roaming around, maybe picking fights and robbing people. There are cults. There's demons lurking in the shadows. There's, there's a whole other side to Zobak that you might not see when you first walk into the city at the day, uh, you know, during the day. So it is, um, that's the other part of it. It's commerce, but some people make their living out of crime. Uh, you know, we talked about the slave trade. Uh, there's people dealing in spices and drugs. There's people dealing in uh, stolen goods and, uh, you know, robberies and all sorts of stuff. There is a very seedy underbelly to the city that you might not see at first glance. Yeah, the skin trade is is, is prominent, you know, as well. Yep. Gambling, uh, pit fighting. Um, oh, yeah. You know. The Shadow Fae. Trade with the Shadow Fae. There's a robust trade uh, with the Shadow Fae. Uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of a monopoly, um, but you know it it does does exist. Um, you know, there's this um, a character called Antonidas Jabber, and uh, he he started out as you know your your typical young brash highwayman. You know, he teamed up with somebody, uh, took Merrick, uh, and uh, and they kind of created a relationship with with the um, with the Shadow Fay, and uh, it, they are a pipeline of goods and services coming in and out of the Shadow Realm. Yeah, yeah. There's it, it's uh, there's so many story hooks to be had there, and you kind of hear us. We're, we're getting a little excited talking about it because, <laughs> because it is such a fun place to to just be and to to read up on. And it's like the more you, the more you start digging in, like you guys, if you don't already have it, you really should be getting the the Clockwork City book. Um, if you don't have it yet, or if you, at least if you've got Streets of Zobek and the Zobek Gazetteer, you're doing pretty good uh, because it's just, there's so much cool stuff happening there and so many story hooks and so many things to do. You know, one, another big thing they have there is the festivals. You mentioned one festival, but there's like a dozen different festivals, right? right. Uh, there's one called, uh, I think it's a kobold one called We Know Work Day. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just a day the kobolds all take off, and, and it could be whatever day they want. <laughs> yeah, whatever day they want. You know, you know sometimes this, sometimes this year it's Tuesday. Yeah, sometimes they celebrate it often. <laughs> yeah, 
too often. There's, yeah. you know, there's a River Fair Day, right? That's uh, part of uh, Lada's Midsummer Festival. Um, you know, so th that's a whole other thing. There's a spring trade fair. Uh, there's a miners day. There's a festival of light, which is also part of the midsummer festival. There's a clockwork festival. So much stuff. I even thought about, uh, bringing in the, uh, you know, the witch light, um, uh, festival, the uh, into there. Cause there's that whole connection to the shadow fay. So I thought that would be kind of a cool way that I could bring that, that festival in, do something with that, but also hook them in and pull them into the, the, the realm of shadows and then maybe get into the court of the shadow fay and stuff like that. I mean, there's so many possibilities there alone. Uh, maybe they even kind of sneak themselves into one of the other festivals. Like, yeah, we're part of this festival. Come on in. Um, so there, there's, there's a lot. Uh, that you can do. And uh, there is, I can't remember which one, but I know there's some information, one of the warlocks about one of the festivals. There's an adventure set during one of the festivals. Right. I'd have to look. Yeah, we'll look that up that and article. put it in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, I mentioned the article earlier that uh, I, I was kind of using that allows you to take all these smaller adventures and hook them together. Uh, and I know that, that, that one was one of them. It was kind of just a fun little festival thing where you buy some stuff and then actually one of those characters ends up being a hook into another adventure. So a lot of fun stuff you can do. There's also, what is it called? Three little pigs. Is that the yep. name of that one adventure? Yeah. Uh, that's a three part probably, uh, adventure. Yeah. That you could, you could do, uh, during one of the festivals where these, um, you know, this, this, I think it was a farmer's daughters all get turned into pigs and you have to like save them <laughs> yeah. so yeah there's a lot of fun stuff to be had around the festivals themselves and it's a great break from the monotony of you know adventure come back drink sell your stuff adventure it can be a really fun um uh role play session and play games and you know get into some trouble a little differently than normal you know right. there, there's also a college of magic you know called the arcane collegium Yes. And uh, it's it's kind of one of the major spellcasting uh, institutions in, in the area. Um, they keep the um, the uh, student populations, you know, fairly small, but they study mm -hmm. all of the schools of magic there, um, predominantly clockwork magic. But yes. uh, they uh, study illumination, ne uh, necromancy. Uh, illusion, magic, divination, you know, yeah. all, all of the good stuff. Yep. And and so if you kind of want to have a Harry Potter-ish, like, you know, adventure, you know, you could spend, you know, a lot of sessions, you know, just in the Arcane Collegium alone. Yeah, yeah, there's there's so much to be done. There's so, so much to be done. And we'll get more into the Collegium when we cover that that district of the city, because we do want to dive into the, the districts a little bit uh, and cover each district, because each one has its own unique flavor and locations and things you can do. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of dive into those, uh, you know, a bit, but since you did bring up kind of the, the collegium and stuff, you know, that's another big thing, right? Is, is just education and technology and magic are another very big part of the city with both the collegium, with the clockwork district, things like that are all very prominent in Zobeck as a setting. I really like the technology aspect because yeah, we have the education and we've got magic. Those things I think we see in a lot of big fantasy cities. But technology is something that is a little bit more unique to Zobek. Uh, you know, there is a clock tower in Zobek, um, it, you know, that's been around since the days of the Strauss family. Uh, you know, we've got the Gear Forge. We've got a jaw bridge. There's a bridge that, you know, actually opened and closed. I had my players cross that bridge 
and uh, and you know uh, have to wait for it to to you know open and close when they were entering Zobek. There's a whole uh, adventure called Man Man at the Bridge, uh, where that bridge breaks down and might blow up, and you know the adventurers have to uh, take care of that. It's actually that's a fun one shot to run to with uh, uh, pre made characters all as kobolds. That's how we run it at uh, Gen Con. Is you run it with. You don't tell the players until they hit the table. You hand them all pre-made character sheets of all kobolds, and they have to save the bridge. So technology is a great other aspect, I think, of Zobek that really needs to be you know, explored by you when you're, when you're there. Yeah. So, you know, Zobek is, 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 is extremely diverse, both good and bad. Um, you, you have your haves. You have your have-nots. You've got vice, drug abuse, violence. Uh, smuggling, slave trade, yep. um, a lot of X card uh, uh, topics, uh, you know, exist. Yep. You know, so you know, be uh, very sensitive about that. Yeah, cults, um, you know, but they they exist nonetheless. But uh, Zobek is so diverse that that um, you can go in many different uh, directions, and and so where we want to kind of get into uh, right now is the uh, districts. And we're going to talk about a couple of them uh, this episode, but Zobek um, is composed of of 10 different districts. And uh, so, Joe, where would you like to start? Uh, well, I think the best place to start, or my favorite, well, we'll start with my favorite one, uh, is the Cartways. Uh, uh, yeah. Because the Cartways is this very unique area. Uh, it started off with kobolds that had kind of dug out these tunnels and stuff like that. And then, you know, the city kind of developed on top of that. So then uh, at one point, the, the Strauss family uh, was going to have this winter festival. There's this giant cavern called uh, the, uh, what's it called? The Winter Hall. Mm-hmm. And uh, they basically used the these cartways, these tunnels and stuff, to ferry uh, all these goods and stuff down to this this cavern and to bring all the nobles and stuff down there. And it was so much fun and such a success that the nobles basically started using the cartways for their own personal stuff. And they started kind of flushing them out and refining them and making them nicer and upkeeping them. And it was a way for servants to get stuff, you know, from one place to the other without cluttering the nice upper streets of Zobek, you know, the upper districts and stuff like that and keep them clean of the common people uh, while, you know, getting goods around. Um, the but, they would but, use but them. The, the 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 cartways were, you know, founded by the cobalts. You know, the the cobalts. They were. Yeah, like I said they, yeah. they they dug them out. Was yeah, part they of dug them mining. out. They're the first ones to settle in that area. Um, they yeah. found, uh, you know, the, the, at the time there was like silver nuggets on the ground, and you, you you plow a field, and you know you see some uh, silver nuggets. So they started digging, you know, underneath the sand into the. Uh, uh, and clay into the into the rock, and uh, you know they found very rich uh, silver veins, and yeah. um, and I, I just wonder, you know, uh, Wolfgang grew up in in the Chicago area, and um, and in, in part of the history of Chicago is is the Chicago Tunnel Company, and it, it, it's it's a bunch of cartway tunnels uh, that were used to move goods from the docks, you know, to various uh, part of towns. Uh, uh, quickly and and effortlessly because, you know, Chicago has their bad winters. Uh, but, you know, when you're underground, 
you know, no, no worries. So, so I, I just wonder if, if, if the cart or the cartways were inspired in part, you know, by this Chicago tunnel company. Possibly that that's yeah. a good point. I hadn't really thought about it. You know, I kind of thought of it too. Um, uh, I was kind of thinking more like, you know, uh, prohibition era, right. Yeah. Where people were doing stuff because they, the cartways, you know, as yeah, it started off as these mines, but when the, when the nobles started taking over, you know, after this this festival, they all wanted their own little grottos down there. Right. Um, you know, they would store stuff down there. They would, you know, some of them would would move through the the cartways to go see mistresses and stuff like that. You also have in Zobek, you've got the Collegium uh, doing some uh, necromancy type stuff down in there. You've got uh, you know um, the uh, alchemists. You know, dumping waste and stuff in parts of it. The original sewers ran through uh, the cartways. There was this, they call it the golden age of the cartways. You know, during the Strauss rule, uh, the cartways were this this place that really got, you know, used a lot by more well-off people. You would think of it more as this underground place where the rogues hung out and stuff like that, but it was really more something for the wealthy. But then the revolt happened and people are like, you know, that's a symbol of the oppression. And they kind of sealed off most of the entrances to the cartways. And they're like, you know, the cartways are off limits. Of course, they didn't seal them, you know, seal them all off. And, you know, now, now it's more of that underground thing. That's where we mentioned cults and demons and stuff. You're going to find them in the cartways. We mentioned Daragul, the which are like more intelligent ghouls and stuff like that. You're going to find them in the cartways. Um, there's an entire black market in the cartways. So it's just a great place to go. In fact, in the Zobek book, they have a whole map of the black market. There's a whole structure. There's like, uh, it's kind of very organized where different groups that uh, use it will have their own guards and they all take turns on different shifts and stuff like that at the black market. Um, that's where the center of the slave trade is in the black market. Um, so there's, you know, all of that. Uh, in a lot of the, uh, bars and stuff like that, especially ones that have brothels, there will be an entrance to the cartways uh, somewhere in a back room, like a hidden door uh, that people can still to this day use to get in and out unnoticed uh, for the brothels. Uh, there is all sorts of neat stuff. There's a, a few vendors you'll see in the black market that will only appear at certain times. Uh, there's this one called the Mask Maker, who she's a doppelganger, but she could essentially... Uh, change your identity. Uh, she's got this uh, this transform humanoid ability, and she for for a price she will change your identity for you. Um, and then I think that for an additional price she will also uh, that will come with papers, new new identification papers too. Uh, so I mean, there's all sorts of cool stuff that happens back there, but. You know, knowing where to get into the cartways is, you know, it's not obvious. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to this alley. There's the cartway entrance. It's like you kind of have to know where to go. It's generally going to be hidden. It's going to be a secret door. It's going to be in the basement of a bar like, you know, go like Harry Potter when he comes out in the the the, uh, the candy store. Like it's under a tile or something like that's the kind of stuff that it's going to be is uh, these hidden entrances and, and places like that. But, I mean, this is a huge network. It weaves everywhere around the city and it extends beyond there, the city underneath the, the marguerite forest yeah. to the uh, borders of of uh, morgau yeah. and duresh yeah 
I mean, in fact, um, sometimes uh, uh, Morgal will, you know, uh, uh, the undead of Morgal will come in through there. That's how they get in and will buy slaves or, you know, uh, kidnap people and take them back as slaves, things like that. I mean, there's all, when you enter the cartways, you're really putting yourself at risk. I mean, right. you know, generally a well-armed party probably won't get messed with, but they might. And, you know, you can cross the wrong people or somebody just thinks you're an easy target. Um, it's not it's not a safe place by any means. It is the seediest of seedy underbellies. Uh, but what a cool, cool place because there's these big caverns, narrow tunnels, little offshoots. Uh, I mean, you can literally come up with anything you want uh, to do that you're like, I don't know where I'm going to put this in a city like this. But you're going to put it in the cartways because right. it's there. One of my favorite you know, underground um, gambling and fights and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, businesses in in the in the main market is the Mary Sisters Meat Market. And, yes, uh, and th th these are th they're butchers, very skilled, very proud. X card warning, guys. Yeah. X card warning. <laughs> X card warning. Uh, they they are butchers of humanoid meat. You know, yes. Um, they're, they're, dwarf. You got it. Yeah. Um, uh, Hester is, is one of them, and uh, Glenfidia is, is the other, and they operate a tidy, colorful tent uh, from which they sell neatly butchered and artfully arranged cuts of humanoid meat. Um, yes. they, they have some on ice, and they have some that are uniced, uh, so it kind of um, ages and ripens a little bit. But uh, they can break right down in. a humanoid body in in no time and they don't care if the if the body is alive or, or or dead uh whether it's a man woman or child they will they will uh you know this is a lot of the gangs and stuff yeah. yeah like the gangs or the cults that need to get rid of a body have arrangements with these people so right. they'll come and and take the body off their hands for them you know it's a, a very mutual beneficial relationship yeah so you you're looking to get rid of a body that's who you, this is who you go talk to. Or somebody is kidnapped, you know, that's a hook, uh, you know, in, into a venture yeah. at all. You know, because, you know, humanoid meat is is pretty prominent. You know, they're looking for the rarities, you know, like uh, uh, gnome and and dragonborn, uh, goblin, halflings. You know, the, the, more, the more rare uh, the race, you know, the more expensive, you know, the meat. You know, so like if you... Yeah. Uh, a shadow fey meat, you know, is and is is probably the most most sought after and the most most expensive. And so, yeah, super grisly. Uh, we're yep. trading in uh, X card uh, land, uh, but uh, you know, you've, you got people who are proud with their craft. You know, you, even though that uh, most uh, folks uh, won't agree with the source, you know, of their meat. Yeah. Yeah. You, you got an annoying player who's like, I want to play a Kender in Midgard. You want to get rid of them? <laughs> this is how you do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's some rare meat, Midgard. <laughs> yeah, but but so the the cartways expand, you know, towards the border of Doresh. You know, it's also the uh, gateway one one gateway into uh, the Ghoul Empire. You know, as well. Yeah. There, there's a city near the border uh, that's underground. That's called Lilyfur, and uh, and you know, it, it's it's just something that you can just make your own. You know, you, you, you have, yeah. have the, the site and, and you can, you know, do what with it, uh, uh that, that you wish. Yeah. 
And my recommendations would be uh, to, if you're going to go into the cartways, definitely check out the black market. Again, the adventure, Everyone Lies, which is the one I was talking about earlier that I'm running, uh, is a great introduction to Zobek, and it does bring you into the cartways and to the black market. But there's a lot to be had there. So definitely I, w- I would recommend having your players check it out at some point because it's super, super cool. Uh, and like we said, there's so much to do. Uh, if your players ever get in trouble and they're trying to escape and they need to get out of the city uh, secretly, not through traditional means, the cartways is another way they can do it or sneak into the city. Uh, you know, the cartways are there for that. that there's, there's a lot to be done. They can d- deal with shady characters and all sorts of stuff there. So have yeah. at it and have fun with it. Right, right. There's not so, a map of the entire what, cartways. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Just just make it up as you go. Yeah, for sure. There, there's that. You couldn't make a map of it. I mean, you could probably take like a, a map of like the Underdark from like Forgotten Realms and be or like, here's a map of the logos map that big. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 massive. There's no there's no anything to it. You know, just say you are given directions on how to get to the black market, and they get there because. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's literally, it would be like navigating the underdark in, in forgotten realms. That's yeah. the best equivalent I can give for you. Um, maybe not quite as massive of a scale, but big. Right. So, so what else? What's another great district that they should definitely check out? Well, we talked about the cartways and that, and, and we, 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 we would be remiss if we didn't kind of connect that with the cobalt ghetto. Um, yes, it. It is the area of Zobek where uh, where the uh, Cobalts live. Um, during the Strauss days, it was kind of more like a pen or um, you know a shanty town. Uh, but now um, it is a rich, robust district of of Zobek, and and it's it's like going into a different world. You know, the walls still exist. There's only two entries uh, into the uh, ghetto. Uh, one is is uh uh is the the river gate which is along the argent river um and uh there is the um ghetto gate which leads into you know the city itself um what's really interesting about the city is is or the ghetto is that everything is sized to cobalt you know so if you're if you're a big you know that's what they call you know uh two bigs right yeah two bigs um you know, you're going to be squeezing in and out. It's like kind of walking through a large diorama, uh, uh, you know, in, in some parks. But, you know, the streets are maybe at best six feet wide. You know, the entries to the structures, you know, are very low. So you got to bend down to uh, get into them. Uh, the roofs all interconnect, you know, to kind of shade the streets uh, from the sun. Because, again, you know, cobalts are, are nocturnal, uh, uh, is a nocturnal race. And it, it really isn't designed for humanoids a, at all. You know, in fact, the preference is, you know, why they won't keep you out. Uh, all eyes are going to be on you uh, uh, when you're there, you know. So it's it's usually good to, you know, have an in uh, to the Cobalt Ghetto and, uh, and, and, uh, and have kind of a guide, you know, somebody that's kind of shepherding uh, your way through. But, you know, the Dairy River is, is, is part of it. In fact, there's a little island, you know, in the middle that is, is part of, of the uh, Cobalt Ghetto. Um, the, the, the really, there's kind of a pseudo-government, uh, you know, of, of, of the ghetto. Um, you know, there's all these tribal chiefs, you know, they call them kings or queens. 
you know, that, uh, that, that kind of carve up the, uh, the, uh, the area and, uh, and, uh, and rule it. And, and like Joe said in the last season, you know, some of these Kings and Queens, you know, their, their, uh, terms maybe may go two weeks, may go a couple of years, but there's, there's a lot of them. And, and, and it all rolls up to, to the King of Kings or the Queen, Queen of Queens who um, holds all of these uh, various kings and queens in check uh, to, to, to unite themselves, you know, to, to try to have some semblance of, of organization. And, uh, you know, yeah. it's kind of funny, you know, the current one is uh, Quetel Mark. Um, you know, he, he uh, has, has been in the uh, um, position for, I, I think, less than a year. Couple of if years. I recall, is it? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember. Yeah, there's, there's just, there's so many. You know, I, I read up on this, and, but you know, Quetel Qu- 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 Mac, Quetel Mac. I'm sorry, Quetel Mac is the is the name of Quetel the King Mac. Of Kings. That sounds right. Uh, the King of Kings or the Queen of Queens gets a seat on the council. You know, so they're uh, represented uh, there as well. Uh, but uh, you know, the the goal of of of, of this role is to kind of you know, somewhat unite, you know, the various kings and queens, you know, around there. Um, they're constantly having to watch their back. Um, you know, there is there is a, another uh, tribal chief called uh, Quince, uh, Car- Prince Caramark. Um, he, he's a foul-tempered kobold uh, known as the Prince of the Night. Um, he was once closely a close a- ally of a previous king of kings named uh, Kermak. And uh, most of the kobolds, you know, in, in the district, you know, believe that, uh, you know, the prince should have succeeded him. So there's this tension between uh, uh, Karamark and Quetelmach, uh, uh as to who is the, the rightful, you know, king of kings. Um, one of my favorite uh, kobold uh, king is, is called the Keeper in White. Um, He's an albino lich kobold that has been alive for so long. He's forgotten his name. Nobody knows what his, his real name is. Um, he has a, fo- a bunch of followers of, of misfits that obey him with a cult-like fanaticism. Um, his, his torso is made of grafted mithril. Um, and he has this clockwork heart that's locked away in his chest. And that's what's been keeping him alive for so long. But here's the rub. He doesn't have a key to it. And, and so he's obsessed with finding the key. So obsessed that his, his, um, his home is called the Throne of Keys. And, and, and it's a house littered with thousands of keys stolen from all over the city. Um, uh, yep. I, you know, I, I, I use him right in there. Courts of the Shadow Fae. You know, I had to Game of Thrones it a little, so where he had kind of a throne, you know, made out of keys. Um, I, I kind of played him like Andy Warhol, um, you know, this really high voice, and uh, and uh, and and somebody who knows all of the keys, where the keys uh, came from, and uh, what locks they uh, they uh, go into, yeah. and um, and the the players thought, Hey, we need a key to get, you know, into the, um, uh, 
th- through a shadow door and, and get to the court. You know, so let's 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 see if the keeper, you know, happens to have a key uh, there. And uh, you know, they weren't successful, but you know, it was a it was a fun couple. Wasn't of there sessions like a key guy in in one of the Matrix movies? Wasn't there a guy like that in the Matrix that had yeah, a, that, that yeah. had keys to everything? Yeah, that would be kind of like I was thinking like a, a quest hook where like you have to you need a key to like a vault or something like that. And you're told, oh, this guy's got the key to the vault, but you don't tell him he's got a billion other keys and the player right. show up. and There's just hundreds and thousands of keys. Yeah. Well, the Lord That'd just says he has keys. And, and I, I kind of kind of, yeah. you know, put my own twist where he 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 knows all. of No, the for sure. Yeah. But, you know, um, in the district, you've got your seedier side. You know, if you've got the fighting pits, you've got, uh, you know, various uh, criminal trades. But you also have the yep. kobolds. Lots that, of drinking establishments. Yeah. Uh, you also have the uh, the kobolds that are the master clock clockwork, you know, yep. makers. You know, they they create the uh, ever-wound spring, um, um, you know, traps uh contraptions of of all sorts in fact the 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 district is littered with traps and some very very clever traps you know as well so you know it's always good to have you know a guide who knows their way around the traps and the guides will charge you know a lot of money but uh you know that's kind of another fun thing where you you kind of run into um you know a, a a cobalt scarecrow you know they they call them chila bait uh, beggars. You know they 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 they're made out of wood and and wax paper and they have uh, um, con, uh, compartments that uh, uh, blast out caltrips. Um, you know they they are warded with a, a minor glyph of warding, so you know it could explode uh, on you. Um, you know, another another good one is um, the, the Jolly Water, and it's really not a trap. It's kind of like water balloons, but it's it's a, a liquid that's in these porcelain um, vases, and uh, and they they get chucked down on them from the rooftop. But what's uh, cool about this is the liquid uh, contains a lichen uh, that uh, visibly glows when viewed with dark vision. And uh, so, it's like you know, fire, essentially, yeah. So it's so it's a way, you know, that uh, that uh, you can be tracked, you know. But um, yeah. it, um, you know, I mentioned him, I think, in our last episode too. But I want to bring him back because he's one of my favorite characters in Zobek is uh, a kobold named Black Eye, and he essentially he has this little pony and cart, and he gives tours of the city. Uh, you know, my players met him when they um, they saved him from Dib and he gave him a ride around the city. And that was kind of an introduction to black guy for them. But he is a guy in the know. He knows people. He knows he's got connections. He's got connections with some of the gangs, uh, you know, and he has hundreds of cousins, as they call them, uh, you know, in the ghetto. So if you need somebody to get you into the ghetto and keep maybe keep you relative, relatively safe in the ghetto, black guy could be a great character for that. Uh, he can set you up with the right people. Uh, he is such a great, um, I, I guess, you, what would you call him, a fixer sort of guy who can just hook you up uh, with almost anything you want. Uh, such a perfect character uh, to introduce your, your characters to a Zo, uh, a Zobecker uh, kobold and kind of start to intermingle with that society, uh, hook you up with, you know, maybe see your people in the city, uh, get you to the right place at the right time, uh, all sorts of stuff. 
Black Eye is just, uh, to me, one of the most essential, you know, kobolds to know in Zobak because he doesn't seem like much, but at least to me, he's he's got his fingers and everything. He knows all these people. And if you actually get on his good side, if you do something for him, uh, he gets very protective of you, and he will he will like kind of treat you as one of his own, and he will want to help you and do you know he's not maybe he's not looking to rip you off. Um, you know, at first he might want to give you a ride around the city and bring you by the vendors. So they slip him a few coins for their sa- to help with their sales. But if, if he feels, uh, connected to you, he will be like a fiercely loyal ally, which is awesome to have in a place like Zobek. Uh, you know, the other, I think notable kobold in Zobek is Goldscale, yeah. who's this golden kobold paladin about as lawful good paladin as paladins come he's the most paladiny paladin imaginable uh and he's got a mission to do good <laughs> he's a fantastic <laughs> character very noble character right good good guy uh just really weird for a kobold but he's got shining gold scales and you know nice armor and you know very very righteous in his attitude so if your party maybe is in trouble, if you're scrapping and the, the fight's going badly and you don't want them to wipe, maybe have Goldscale step in and save the day. Um, he could be a good, you know, a good person to possibly meet and, uh, you know, maybe seed into some other uh, more noble quests if you're looking for more of that good aligned kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, he you can, can be think of him as, you know, how can I help you, citizen? Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, you're like, I don't need help, but I will help you anyway. Like, I will help you. It's a little overbearing. Yeah. Yeah, I will help you. You know, uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of the character, but there's uh, there's a character in a movie that was like that, that was just like, you know, uh, almost t- overly helpful. That That's gold scale. He's a little too helpful. Yeah. So, but kobolds, man, uh, don't underestimate them. They are, they are what make, they're, they're, the, I feel like the two things that make Zobek Zobek is the clockwork and the kobolds. Right. Because those are two unique things. You generally don't have a city where they're like, they're like, oh yeah, we have we have a whole kobold district down the street and they're they're an integral part of our city. Like, you know, yeah, they're still kind of second class citizens because they're kobolds, but they are, you know, if you see kobolds walking down the street, you're it's not like, oh my god, kobolds run away. It's mm. yeah, there's kobolds. Yeah. They, a lot of them work for the city. You know, they maintain the, the bridges and mm-hmm. and the, the clockwork uh, mechanism. I mean, cobalts have families, uh, lots of cousins, yep. brothers, and sisters. Um, and there's the ones that are more on the lawful side and more on, and some are on the yep. more unlawful side. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of really great locations, you know, in, in the ghetto. You know, they have their own kind of dock, dock area you know, where they kind of compete mm-hmm. with the main dock area. Um, it, it takes three times, to- you know, three kobolds to one human, you know, to move a box, you know, but, you know, they still, they, it's a great way for, you know, the city to uh, have uh, dock workers during the day and dock workers uh, during the night as well. And, and it's kind of, you, you can kind of have a fun tension, you know, between those two when, you know, the kobolds are undercutting you know, the main uh, dock district and, and so forth. Yeah. Um, you know, the Undercity, you know, there, there there's an in- entrance to the Undercity in the Cobalt Ghetto. Um, you know, un- 
you know, underneath the uh, ghetto itself, you know, there's uh, cellars and small passageways. Um, you know, the tunnels are smaller. They're cobalt size. The doors are cobalt size. Um, they um, they uh, have uh, rat fights and weasel fights, you know, down there. Um, you know, the, 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 the ghetto under city, uh, connects to the main cartways, you know, in numerous places and, and underneath the, uh, Derry river, uh, as well. Um, you know, again, it's really not a place, you know, that humans, you know, hang out uh, too much, but, uh, it's also a, a, a way to get to Lilyfor, uh, which is, you know, 140 miles to the North. You know, and and uh, the the cobalts have a very brisk trade, you know, between um, Zobek, uh, Lilifor, the uh, Ghoul Empire, and uh, and and so forth. You know, also yeah. smuggling, you know, is is practiced openly down there, so you can get rare wines and silks and 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 you know the black lotus, and which is a ingredient in in, in a drug um poppy wine uh you know things like that and and the merchants are always happy uh to cut the tax man you know uh that exists in in the cobalt district uh out um to uh to sell their wares you know essentially yeah yeah and they like you said the smuggle they have these like chain bridges that they do where it's like chain chains and barrels stuff like that that they'll link and put across the water they even have ones that go across the argent to get out to the margrave and smuggle goods in at night and things like that um they're really crafty like don't don't treat these kobolds as just like you said fodder like you know dumb little creatures they are smart they are crafty they are fierce you know when when back into a corner they will fight um, but they also know when to run away. Like they know when they're outmatched and, and run away. They're not going to fight to the death. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to bug out. Um, you know, and they'll probably come back with more. So, uh, keep in mind too, like if you were trying to get into the ghetto, there's a toll that you have to pay to get in and like, out, especially bigs and out and out. You're <laughs> going to pay to get in and out. So if you're trying to avoid that, you know, maybe black eye can help you. Maybe there's a way through the, uh, through the cartways or something like that. That could be something that, you know, your players might have to deal with. But, uh, you know, generally speaking, bigs are not always just allowed to freely walk in. And if, if you are allowed in for some reason, you are in the ghetto, um, watch your back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would watch your back. And if you're you, going to get pickpocketed, and at if the you very least, you're going to get pickpocketed. Oh, for sure. And, and if you don't speak draconic, you're going to probably be largely ignored as well. Yeah. So, uh, such, such a, a flavorful and cool area though. Uh, don't eat there. I would not recommend the food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, you know, but yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a cool place. And, uh, the fact that it's, it's more than just tolerated, you know, almost encouraged. Uh, I think people encourage it because like the cobalt, the, the cobalt's earned their seat at the table during the revolt, right? Like they're, they're there because they earned it. Um, and and slavery of kobolds was outlawed and stuff like that. But it's also, I think, encouraged, the ghetto is encouraged because it kind of contains them somewhat. I mean, yeah, you'll see them around the rest of the city at night, hitting the bars and stuff like that. But they most, for the most part, they, they'll stay there. They'll, they live there. Uh, they do a lot of their business there. Uh, so I think that is kind of the balance for people. It's like, yeah, we tolerate the kobolds, but we encourage them to stay in their own part of the city. Yeah. That's, that's the compromise. And, and the last, you know, uh, major area of, of the district. Um, if you're 
players need uh, unique trinkets or magical items. There's Pentrix Mundane Magical Items, mm-hmm. um, which is a shop in in the uh, in the uh, district. It's uh, it's um, near the uh, ghetto gate, which is the main gate into the city, and it's a jumble of curious uh, curios and, and knickknacks. Um, the the book itself cover uh, uh, says it's more of a stall, um, but. Uh, but I played it as a as a full on shop uh, that uh, that they can go into again. You know, you got to go into a low door. You know, all the the displays are low. You know, cobalt size and uh, things like that. But uh, Pentrick is not your jovial nice guy. He's devious. He he he's wicked, uh, and uh, he owns a wor- workhouse filled with uh, indentured servers servants uh, in. In, uh, and, and they live in cramped quarters, you know, below the city. And, you know, their job is to, you know, crank out these uh, arcane trinkets. Um, and uh, so, you know, so while he has the, the, the goods, Pentrick is not a nice, nice couple. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely play him more as like the, you know, if I if I ever there, you know, I'm hunched up and he's kind of has that slithering voice. Yeah. Kind of hissy. And, you know, he's just, he's not someone you, you, you know, he's definitely, he'll, he's like the greasiest of greasy salesmen too. Like he, he's just nice enough that he wants to make the sale, but you know, one wrong movie, he's you try to steal something, you know, he's got, uh, like, um, he's got like clockwork contraptions that will protect him and, you know, things like that. So, you know, watching around him he's 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 an interesting character yeah well we spent so much time talking about uh the cartways and and uh, the cobalt ghetto and and the ogl drama and and our adventures you know we kind of ran out of time uh to kind of uh, do our creature showcase so we're definitely going to do a creature showcase in in our next episode joe and i have selected some pretty cool uh creatures that you can uh, use in your game but next episode, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the personalities. Uh, we'll go uh, deep into another uh, district of Zobek, and uh, we'll have that uh, creature showcase. So, um, Joe, how can people yeah. reach you? Uh, so, you know, you can reach me uh, on my YouTube channel, which, as I mentioned uh, in the beginning of the episode, I just rebranded to the GM Toolbox. So YouTube.com slash at GM Toolbox. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter uh, at uh, GM underscore toolbox. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. We've got all those links down in the notes for you guys. Uh, and I'm also on uh, the Midyard Adventures Discord server at GM Toolbox there. Uh, so, you know, keep an eye out. Come say hi. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in the whole Project Black Flag thing, uh, I'll be talking a bit about that on my channel as well. Right on. Well, you can reach me uh, on the Midgard Adventures Discord server. That is the uh, easiest way to get a hold of me. Uh, if you join, uh, you can uh, reach me at, at Clayton Thompson, and that's Thompson without a P. And uh, we have also have a dedicated channel for that Midgard show uh, on the uh, on the uh, server. So you can go there to post a comment, talk about the content of the show, uh, post things of, of topics that you want us to talk about, um, anything you want. Um, and if, if, if the server is not for you, you know, definitely put your, uh, your, your comments and your interpretation of lore in the show notes, uh, below. Uh, but the Midgard server is a great place to, uh, to hang out. Uh, there's the Mead Hall. 
and there's all kinds of lore and adventure channels uh, as well. Yep. And, uh, you know, we're also discussing Project Black Flag there as well. And Playtest of that should be starting up in February. If anybody's interested, make sure you're signed up to do that because it's going to be cool. So, uh, and, you know, if you like our show, please make sure you click on the like button uh, and, this, and subscribe to our channel here on YouTube. Or, you know, make sure you're leaving us a nice review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, you know, even better, spread the word about the Migdard show. Uh, you know, we're new, we're starting out, but we've been very appreciative of all the, the positive feedback uh, that we've gotten so far. And we hope to keep improving and making it better for you guys. So we thank you very, very much. So remember, as Wolfgang Barr says... Strip it for parts and make it your own. Thank you for joining us. Peace. Bye, guys. <laughs>